Welcome to the Press On Podcast. Expect to be inspired, challenged, and strengthened. In this episode, we'll hear from Sonia Zaibo on transforming prayers. What is your prayer perspective? Paramedic or parachute? The hum of airplane engines was the perfect backdrop for the doubts churning in my mind about prayer. I began questioning my perspective of prayer not long ago while settling into my seat on a long international flight. It all started when a flight attendant approached my row and informed us she would intermittently sit in the little fold-down jump seat during the overnight journey. She would face the three passengers in our row, me, bookended between my husband on the aisle, and a quiet man engrossed in his leather-bound foreign language book at the window. When my husband and I were not sleeping, forever curious about the escapades of frequent travelers, we peppered the attendant with questions. As the flight wore on, the conversation became increasingly intimate. So much so that by the time the plane started its descent, she was sobbing into her hands as she divulged the heart-wrenching details of a desperate situation at home. Her story could have been any of ours. The details don't matter. What matters is her description of how she was feeling. How she described it, it sounded like she was teetering on the edge of a cliff with no hope of help. I felt a knot in my stomach as I thought of all the times I too had felt that way whether from grief, trauma, the uncertainty of my future, or my own sinful mistakes. I've trekked many remote and treacherous trails, but thankfully I've never found myself in a Mission Impossible-esque scenario, clinging to the edge of a sheer drop-off. Yet, there have been moments in my life where I've felt proportionately desperate and helpless, as if I'm on the brink of impending doom. It feels like you're on a cliff with only your shaky hold on the mountain's edge separating you from falling. The wind howls, drowning out even the sound of your heart pounding. You don't dare look down to confirm what you know. The rocks below you are waiting to swallow you whole. It's as if you're stranded, days away from civilization. The haunting realization sets in that no person can hear your desperate calls for help. This cliffhanging feeling is universal. At one point in our lives, from various causes, we've all felt it or will feel it. On the plane, I couldn't help but feel the irony that this flight attendant had top-level training to remain calm in harrowing situations but now was crying buckets in front of the people she was obliged to keep calm. I scoured my brain for advice or solutions to her problem. Coming up empty, I briefly spoke with platitudes of empathy and compassion. My sentiments seemed to soothe her mis misery momentarily. Soon, before she could respond, the man at the window, whom we assumed did not speak English, nor was paying attention to our conversation, looked her in the eyes. I know what you need, he said with a Spanish accent. 
I felt dubious. I was embarrassed for him. There was no easy fix to her problem. I could tell she felt the same apprehension, but looked at him inquisitively. Curiosity is a welcome distraction. He pushed the leather book he'd been reading all flight into the dim stream of the overhead light to reveal the title in gold leaf. Santa Biblia. To help your problem, he said, while tenderly patting his Spanish Bible, you need to pray. The Almighty Father in Heaven will help you. An awkward silence hung as the flight attendant wiped her tears on a cocktail napkin and fixed her makeup. She coldly thanked him for his suggestion, while not masking her disappointment. Prayer was clearly not in her tool belt of solutions. As the flight attendant unbuckled to perform her landing duties behind her practiced smile, I fidgeted with unease. I couldn't help but wonder about this stranger beside me's suggestion. While it's debatable whether the timing of his response to this flight attendant's sorrow was more appropriate than mine, his message unsettled me. Why didn't I, someone who identifies as having faith, suggest prayer? Should I believe prayer can help in such a hopeless situation? I wondered. And if so, how does that work? After that flight, I became aware of a common belief about prayer I have adopted. It may be because I hear it so often. When someone shares bad news, like a scary diagnosis, people respond with, praying for healing. Or when someone recovers from a serious injury, people say, thank God our prayers were answered. Recently, when I shared something I desperately depended on happening with a friend, she responded, I'll pray that happens for you. Even in our weekly Sunday gatherings, we offer up our members' troubles and ask for specific solutions through prayer. While all of these messages are kind and comforting and are expressions of our faithful devotion to a belief in God's never-ending and loving power in our lives, there is an underlying danger in seeing prayer only as a tool where, when we're hanging on to that metaphorical cliff, it will facilitate the specific answer we're looking for. Like a rescue helicopter full of skilled paramedics to pull us to safety. I will categorize this doubt-ridden perspective on prayer as a transactional perspective of prayer. Here's a test to see if you, too, have taken on this common view of the transactional perspective of prayer. Do you pray only when you're in trouble? Only after you've exhausted all of your resources? Do you tend to ask for specific outcomes? Like the sellers to approve your offer on your dream house. Do you focus on your or a beloved one's personal gain in prayer? For instance, praying for a job promotion or for your brother's illness to heal quickly. Do you sometimes wonder why God answered your sister's prayer, but not yours? Do you often pray for immediate results, and then when you don't see them, start to wonder about the power of prayer, or if perhaps you haven't prayed fervently enough?
Do you sometimes wonder if God is even listening? You are in good company if you answered yes to any of these questions. This transactional perspective of prayer is ubiquitous. This transactional perspective that prayer is a tool to rescue us from suffering situations is faith-destroying. It's because the common view sees prayer as a visit to a gas station, as if we pay our fare by telling God what we want, and he fills up our tanks by giving us what we want, and when he does, we smile and wave in thanksgiving as we drive away. This perspective causes doubt because it only works if gas comes from the hose. It doesn't work when you stand by your car eagerly for the pump to dispense your gas, but all you hear is a sputtering noise. With a sinking feeling, you look down at your feet and see nothing but slimy green muck oozing out of the hose. Doubt creeps in. Was our prayer not enough? Did we not say the words right? We rationalize. We said the prayer. We paid our fare. Why isn't God answering us? Where are those paramedics when you need them? The danger with the transactional prayer is that it leads to uncertainty and anxiety and doubt. This faith-destroying transactional perspective of prayer comes from biblical concepts, such as the hundreds of mentions of prayer and instructions of prayer, and accounts of miracles following prayer. However, a closer look at prayer shows that the transactional perspective of prayer twists the purpose of prayer. On the contrary, the Bible shows us that prayer is not a transactional exchange to make our lives picture perfect, but rather it's meant to be a continual conversation with God that transforms us. While so many people treat prayer to solve their problems, the passenger sitting beside me on the plane took a different perspective of prayer. Prayer is not just a tool to reverse a troubling circumstance, because the flight attendant situation was not likely to be changed. But prayer was a fundamental tool he used, even when he didn't expect any answer. I will categorize this kind of prayer as a transformational perspective of prayer. To understand how prayer can transform us, read verses 5 and 6 in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. This passage offers valuable insights into the mechanics of how prayer operates. At first glance, it may seem like it's supporting a transactional perspective of prayer. Anxious? Step 1 pay the fare and pray and petition God. Step two, your anxiety will be swapped out with peace. However, a crucial phrase before that explains the key to the power of how prayer is not transactional, but rather transformational. The Lord is near. This phrase is the key to understanding how prayer transforms us and how this kind of peace it brings will seem totally based on irrationality. When we feel as if desperately hanging from a cliff, searching for a solution, God tells us He has been there the whole time. 
The Lord is near. He's waiting for us to call out to Him. And when we acknowledge His presence through prayer, even in the abyss of the remotest mountainside, it changes us. How? It makes us less anxious because we realize that we mustn't get through this alone. When we pray, we internalize a belief that our future is secure in our hope of God's will and kingdom. We become less fearful because, despite all physical, rational appearances, we're confident we're not alone. As we take comfort in His presence, we find the courage to face our troubles. Even if the worst should happen and we slip, we know He is with us, holding us tight. As we fall, we feel Him buckle a parachute securely around our chest, becoming a tandem skydiver instructor. Our anxiety melts because we're not alone. We are in His loving embrace. The transformational perspective on prayer is faith-building. It cultivates a deep, trusting relationship with God in every situation. For those who have adopted the transactional perspective of prayer, one of Jesus' more difficult instructions comes when Jesus instructs His disciples to pray, Thy will be done, in the Lord's Prayer. I've often tripped on these words in prayer not wanting to put them on my tongue for fear of God's will. It's stomach-churning to think that if God wants us to fall to our doom from our cliff, we should want that too. That's why, instead of praying an open-ended prayer that God's will be done, a transactional mindset leads us to pray for specific tangible things, like a helicopter rescue team that will get us out of our desperate situation. However, praying for something specific is dangerous to our faith because it may not be aligned with God's will. In His almighty power, it may not happen. The only solution to our problems may seem like a rescue helicopter, which we fixate our prayers on, but giving God a single solution is like giving God an ultimatum. It's as if we're saying, God, Only if your will is the same as mine, I'll trust in you. We become tyrannical dictators. If he doesn't comply with our wishes, we stomp our feet as if he's the one who let us down. Disappointment leads to anger. Anger leads to hopelessness. And hopelessness leads to faithlessness. God, however, is not our minion at our beck and call, waiting to fulfill our every demand. We must avoid praying for one specific solution to our problems, like a rescue helicopter, and rephrase our prayers to only pray for His will and kingdom. Jesus' guidance of, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. And in His Sermon on the Mount, might seem like prayer works like a spiritual vending machine, as if all we have to do is press the B and the seven buttons and the chocolate-covered peanuts we're craving will fall into our hands. But 
Does this verse really mean we can ask God for whatever we want and he'll give it to us? No, because this verse is not in a vacuum. Jesus established what to ask for shortly before. Seek first the kingdom of God, he says. Ask for the kingdom. Seek God's kingdom. Knock on the door of God's kingdom. When you do, you will find God's kingdom because you will be transformed. When we seek God's kingdom, the more we want it. The more we ask for God's kingdom, the more we want to manifest his kingdom. Here, Jesus instructs his disciples to pray for God's will to be done, not to change God's will, but rather to change ours. Prayer changes our desires to benefit our tyrannical kingdom to yearning for God's kingdom to reign supreme. Jesus tells us to pray for God's kingdom so we can start visualizing it. Visualizations are powerful transformers of the mind. In the same way I use visualizations to help me reach personal goals like making healthier habits, training for an athletic competition, or building my business or my academic career. When I pray for God's kingdom, I paint a clear vision of God's kingdom. The visualization incrementally changes my desires when I look at this painting through a continued life of prayer. Instead of forcing God's will to align with ours, our prayers will align with His. The more we pray for God's will, the more we visualize our hearts aligning with it. Our desire for whatever God's will is increases, and the desire for a specific outcome decreases. Regarding prayer, focusing solely on specific things we want or need can be tempting. However, a more effective approach may be to align our prayers with an aspect of God's kingdom. This means praying for guidance, surrender, obedience, and the fruit of the Spirit. For example, instead of praying for a new job, we might pray for God's guidance and wisdom in making decisions that align with His plan. When we're scared or anxious, we can ask for God's help, surrendering our plans and trusting Him. Similarly, we can pray for strength to obey God's will. In challenging situations, we can ask for His blessing of the fruit of the Spirit, such as peace, patience, or self-control. By aligning our prayers with God's kingdom, we become more flexible in seeing God's hand in our life, grow closer to Him, and experience His peace and His guidance. During stressful moments, we're like a person hanging on the edge of a cliff. We have a choice. Do we view prayer only as a tool to induce a miracle of a helicopter rescue? Is prayer simply a means to tell God what the cliffhanging situation we're in and to ask Him to fix it? Or do we subversively think we can use it to change His will to get what we want? If so, our prayers will lead to disappointment. When the flight attendant shared her cliffhanging situation, 
I resisted the man next to me's suggestion of prayer because I shared a too common viewpoint that prayer is a way for humans to harness God's power to get us out of sticky situations. Sadly, the way I saw it, there was no getting out of her situation, at least not in the physical, temporal sense of the moment. I needed a perspective shift. I needed to see prayer not as a solution maker, but as a disciple maker. I needed to remember that prayer is a way to invite God into my darkest fears and desires, my innermost parts. When we view prayer as creating a relationship with our Heavenly Father and finding ourselves hanging on for dear life, the question on our lips should be, where is God right now? Our faith tells us the answer. He's right here, next to us. He's been there the whole time, desiring us to depend on Him. This is how prayer helps us in what feels like hopeless situations. When we look for God, His presence becomes palpable, and we feel His love envelop us like a tandem skydiving instructor. We may not receive the precise results we hope for. We may not get rescued at all, at least not in the way we expect. But we get rescued in a divine way, in the comfort of knowing that no matter what happens next, God is building his kingdom through us. All we must do is reach out, take hold, and strap in tight. We hope you enjoyed the message today. You've been listening to Sonia Zabo, and for more, you can visit pressonjournal.org.